Well, good morning. Well, I hope you um, hear my heart here, um, how sincere this is. I feel so at home. I feel so genuinely blessed to be here. No platitudes, no preacher talk. Like, see, to tell you just a little bit about myself, um, I, I always half jokingly refer to myself as a hillbilly Pentecostal because I grew up around um, the Pentecostals, kind of, you know, like rural North Carolina is really kind of where I'm from. So it was much more like a sawdust freaking out in the barn and schoolhouse kind of thing. And, um, you know, I've been around just long enough to where, like, I can clean up if I have to and, and button it up a little bit. But it's so good to be in a place that's just a little bit rowdy, like, oh, a little rowdy. Like, I, during the worship, I thought, like, you know, in, anything could happen in this environment. Anything might happen. So I'm, I'm feeling very at home. What a beautiful community. Um, there's a lot I, I want to say, and some of this even, um, I'm really kind of surfing in real time here. Maybe some I'll, I'll, I'll hold to the end. But I got to say, Lyle, not only am I honored by the invitation, but, you know, I, man, I really do feel like such a sense of just a Holy Spirit connection with you. And Allison, just getting to meet you for the first time. I just, man, I, there's just something that feels so providential about all of this. And, I, you know, I have to say, um, you know, I pastored for a long time, done a number of things. I basically write and speak different places full-time right now. So, you know, I do this a lot, but it's interesting this morning just how much I'm feeling like a lot of butterflies right here. Not necessarily because I'm like, I'm afraid of you or nervous, but just such a sense of, of the Holy Spirit being here and just the significance of this moment, you know? So I don't know what all that means, but it feels really good and right to be here and I'm not trying to invite myself into your house. I am one of those people, though. It's like you, you're kind, and then I'll just like, I love Nashville to begin with. But it does, you know, I, I just, I really do feel like that there's a relational connection, like with you and the church. It's supposed to be long-term, and I, I, just, I just appreciate your, your kindness in yielding the pulpit to me. We did have an amazing time in Portland, and, you know, every once in a while you just have that kind of soul-to-soul sort of recognition with somebody, and it, it very much felt that way. So all to say, I'm honored to be here. Thank you for receiving me. If you uh, have your Bibles and or electronic devices, however you do that, Luke chapter 24 is where I want to go. And um, as you're turning or pulling up, let's just, uh, let's just pray one more time. Holy Spirit, you are so welcome in this place. Already you have met with us. Already you are filling us. And um, I feel it in my own heart. I feel you melting things. And... Um, I feel myself slowly letting go of things, and I thank you just for the way that already you're meeting with us in such a profound way. But God, we do in these next few moments just want to be especially, just especially open uh, for, uh, God, just, just for your revelation, for the things that can't be taught, that can't be comprehended with the mind. But in the words of the Apostle Paul, we ask you for a spirit of revelation, that you would show those things to us that can only be revealed by your Holy Spirit. Not, not just taught, but Lord, that you would reveal something of yourself, that you would reveal something of your heart. And I just pray that for uh, anybody here who's in need in any way, just for such a, for such a revelation, such a, a resurrection experience today, uh, we just want to be so open to whatever you have for us. So we do one more time just say, welcome, Holy Spirit. However you want to move, however you want to speak, we yield to you. We trust you. We delight in you. And however strange and remarkable it is 
uh, to say, somehow you delight in us. You delight in our presence as we delight in your presence. I can't get my head around that, but I'm so grateful, God. Pray that each of your sons and daughters here today would just feel your delight as we come deeper into your word. We ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, amen. amen. All right. Well, um, again, it's, since we're new to each other, it's tempting to want to kind of like visit and mess around for a while, but I think I'll go right to the text and we'll get into some other things as we go. But this, um, this is a chapter that, I don't know, several months ago, I felt like the Lord spoke to me and I don't know, there's been so many layers to this. I feel like I keep seeing not only my own story in this text, but so much about where we are, um, as a culture right now, so much about where we are as a people. And by the way, I know there's a lot of things that um, culturally we, it's, it's hard to get a consensus about, but I think I'm, I might be able to get some agreement here. Is this not just a uniquely complicated time? Am I the only person who thinks that? Like, this is a complex time. It's a complex time to be a Christian in North America, complex time to be an American. It's a complex time to be alive. I know everybody probably thinks that their own moment in history is unique in some way or the other, but I do think there's some ways that like, th- th- this is not a normal time, y'all. <laughs> and uh, man, I'm telling you, it, it, that's producing, I guess this is good, you know, such a sense of humility and dependence in me right now, because it's like, all right, Holy Spirit, you better be in this somewhere, because I, I really don't know, don't know what I'm doing. But I just think... It's just a season that I, for so many people in my life, from all different kinds of directions, and I have very diverse friends. I mean, I have a confusing cross-section of friends, of Pentecostals and Episcopalians and non-believers, and like, so I'm very confused, some people think, and, um, but no, it's interesting to me how many folks I'm around right now that in some direction or another are, are experiencing deep disillusionment and despair people that have come out of Christian communities, come out of churches, that are feeling disillusionment and despair with their churches. Uh, I feel like I'm around a lot of pastors and leaders who I love right now. They're feeling despair and disillusionment. And in this season of just profound shaking where political structures are shaking and ecclesiastical structures are shaking and anything and everything that we've held dear is shaking. And, And it's shaking indiscriminately. Like there's some things that are shaking that maybe you think ought to be shaken. Other things that you would really prefer to not be shaken at all. But in, there, there seems to be such a kind of an earthquake right now. Like it's all, it feels like it's all moving. And there, there's just, there, there's so, so much that's happening. So somehow this particular text, in terms of despair and disillusionment, somehow just hit me in a different way. And I, I, I just can't get around it. This is just after the death of Jesus. And we pick up this story, Luke 24, beginning with verse 13, of two disciples who are now um, walking away from the holy city of Jerusalem in despair. Can we go to the text, Luke 24, beginning with verse 13? I don't know if we have that. You know what? I gave that to you guys so last minute. I've got it right here. It's so funny. You know, I left my Bible at home, and I feel so bad about it. I don't know why, like, just enough of a Pentecostal preacher that, like, having my cell phone instead of my Bible just feels less anointed somehow. You know what I mean? It's like some things are just, oh, there it is. Boom. You know, so like good. Cause that, you know, somehow this device just does not seem appropriately anointed. So thank, thank you for that. I was afraid I would hinder the spirit by, by doing that. Yeah. So beginning with verse 13, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. 
while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And we'll stop right there for right now. So these two disciples, like all the earliest followers of Jesus, are Jews. Jerusalem is the center of the universe. The temple orders everything about their life. Uh, these early followers of Jesus did not understand themselves to be part of a new religion. They saw themselves to be part of a, of a reform movement within Judaism that honors Jesus as the Messiah, as the anointed one, as the chosen one. And this sacred city that was just ground zero for them, for everything that was good and purely and holy, that same sacred place is now the place where they've seen Jesus tortured and killed. And so the place that once was holy, the place that once was sacred, has now been desecrated. And this place that once brought such tremendous hope and comfort and encouragement now feels like a crime scene. I don't know if any of you know what that feels like, to have some kind of space in your life where you once encountered God, some kind of space in your life that once was innocent, some kind of space where there once was optimism and hope, but something happens, something happens in that same space to where Jerusalem, the holy place, all of a sudden, the sacred space doesn't feel like a safe space anymore. I've never said that sentence in my life, but I've felt something on that. The sacred space doesn't feel like a safe space anymore. And when the sacred space doesn't feel like a safe space, then sometimes there's no alternative but to, but to go on a long walk in the opposite direction. And I have to think that these two disciples, because keep in mind, their Messiah has just been brutally murdered. Their expectation was that Jesus was ultimately going to reveal himself to be a militaristic Messiah who was going to overthrow their Roman oppressors. As far as they're concerned, the story now is done and over. And everything that they had placed hope in before, all of their hopes and belief, hope and belief in Jesus has been utterly dashed. They're convinced that it was a waste of time. And I, so I don't think it's without significance that they're walking away from Jerusalem. For all practical intents and purposes, they're walking away from God. So they think. They think they're walking away from God. It feels like they're walking away from their faith. I know some of you know what that feels like, as do I, to have your old faith so completely deconstructed that it feels like you're losing your grip on yourself, losing your mind. Nothing, this is a long and lonely road. And they're not on a spiritual pursuit here. This becomes more clear as we read a little further, but it says they were just discussing these things that had happened. What becomes clear as we go is that really all they were doing is having an honest conversation about their pain. That's all that's happening. Not spiritual. They're having an honest conversation about their pain. Vulnerable, authentic. And yet this remarkable thing happens that while they're having a vulnerable, open conversation about their pain, imagine this. Jesus sneaks up into their midst. <laughs> and I love this because, and this is relatively new in my life because I don't know about y'all, like I grew up in a church culture where, you know, very much a holiness environment. And, I, and I've drawn so many beautiful things from that that I honor. But also quite the sense that coming to be in God's house with God's people all involves, you know, dressing up and putting on your best and hiding all the warts. 
but what seems to be happening here, and I find this to be true in throughout the story of scripture and just life in general, is that whenever people get vulnerable and open enough about their pain, there's something about that that just invites the presence of God like moth to flame. I mean, I know God is always with us, but I'm talking about a conscious, open experience of the presence of God. Nothing but vulnerability will bring that. You don't have to do the right rain dance. You don't have to say the magic words. You don't have to pray the right prayer. All God's looking for is vulnerability in community. Part of what I love about this story is that these two disciples feel like they're leaving their religious community. And yet, as they're sharing vulnerably their pain, they're becoming a new community <laughs> in which Christ is mysteriously present. Man, I, I don't think this, I'm not trying to be like provocative here, but this is, this is just really what I believe. I believe so much that God only works in the context of vulnerability, like when our defense is lower, that, that I, I really believe this to be true. People in a bar who are vulnerable are closer to the presence of Jesus than people in a church who are not vulnerable. <laughs> like, I'm not making this a recommendation, but I, will but I will tell you this. I really believe that a lot of people end up spending a lot of time in a bar precisely because they go there looking for the thing that they can't get in church. <laughs> if the sacred space is not a safe space, I mean, the bartender you can talk to about your sins. You can confess there. There, you know, everybody knows your name and they're always glad you came. If there's no community among the people of God and it's just a show and there's no opportunity for a relationship, <laughs> I really believe people often end up in the bar going for the thing that they wish they could get at church but couldn't get. So now they're having this... That was free of charge, you guys. It was a foot, glorified footnote. They're, as, they're, as they're vulnerable and as they're sharing their pain and they're sharing their disillusionment, Jesus kind of, Jesus sneaks up in between them. And I really believe this, that the moment that you get vulnerable enough, and especially when you share that pain, the pain of your story with another person, that may not feel like a spiritual act, but I believe it always is because there's something about opening up the pain of our soul to another person where... Jesus just gets in the midst of that. And we may not always recognize him for who he is. Like the disciples, maybe our eyes are not yet opened. But that, that for me, for whatever it's worth, if you want to grow in the presence of God, I'm telling you what that looks like is getting a little bit more vulnerable, a little bit more exposed. That's what it means. And that, that is the deeper path into the heart of God. I believe that. The more open we get about the real state of our lives and our souls, good, bad, and the ugly, the deeper we go into the presence of Jesus. I feel like I'm preaching 14 sermons right now. So let's get back to the text just to keep me on, on task a little bit. So they, they don't recognize Jesus for who he is immediately. And I love this, verse 17. There are so many things about this passage I think are, are like genuinely hilarious. And I think is intended to be. He said to them, Jesus says to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, and I love this. Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? That's amazing. <laughs> they are talking to the one who's just been tortured and crucified. And the question is, 
are you the only one who hasn't heard what's happened in these days? And if you want to get a sense of the comic timing of Jesus, I mean, tell me this is not brilliant. I, no, I don't know if anybody will think this is as funny as I do. I think the, the just comic timing of Jesus is so perfect. Jesus' simple response to that question, are you the only person who doesn't know what's happened these days? Jesus simply says two words, what things? <laughs> I mean, like, how brilliant is that? What things? Doesn't that feel like something like out of the office? I mean, it's such a like, whatever do you mean? Things? Something's happened? Oh, please tell me more. Like that, that has to be intentionally funny. In fact, I will go so far as to say there's such a, and this has changed how I read scripture, by the way. There's something so playful about this text. There's a playfulness to Jesus. I think so often what happens, you know, the the encounter we have with Jesus, the, the resurrected one, often kind of takes the form of God punking us. You know what I mean when I say that? Like Jesus is kind of punking the disciples here. He, I mean, really, he's there in person, eavesdropping as they're having a conversation about all that's happened to him and doesn't reveal himself. There's something fundamentally playful. So they say, he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death. And, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. I'll stop right there for right now. So here's the thing I really want you to get. Maybe for, this is, to me, the, the heart and center of this message. So these two disciples, so far as they know, are on a journey of deconstruction. It feels like they're losing their faith. It feels like they're walking away from the holy city. And because I also hear what I'm saying here, while I don't have a Jewish background, I, I really identify with the idea considering my roots, especially before, and this is another story for another time, but going through profound suffering in my own life and profound shipwreck and coming to terms with my own humanity. Man, I've always been a person who was always all about Jerusalem. And let's stay in Jerusalem. Let's stay in the holy city. Let's stay, let, let's stay inside the sacred space. That, that, I, would, I would have been that person to say, please don't leave Jerusalem. God, God lives here in the temple. You don't want to get outside of God's jurisdiction <laughs> inside, inside the walls of the temple. They feel like they're walking away from all that. But here the, here's the thing that's so profound for me about this passage. While they think what they're doing is walking away, and they think their story is a story of disillusionment and despair. What we know is that this is actually a story about them encountering the resurrected Jesus. So all that just to say this. Sometimes the story that you think your life is telling is very different from the story God is actually telling with your life. Whatever story you think your life is telling, you think it's saying one thing. <laughs> You think your story is communicating one thing. God's actually telling a very different story with you than one that you think. You think you're walking away when you may be actually walking smack dab into the resurrected Jesus. Now, I'm not trying to mess with your mind, but what if it's actually the Holy Spirit that stirs up that restlessness that causes people sometimes to have to leave the sacred space? This is, this is a little crazy to me, but it feels right. I think I'm preaching the text. 
What if sometimes, I've never said it this way before either, and I'm just, I don't know, this city week's funny right now for some reason. <laughs> what if sometimes you have to leave Jerusalem to get to Jesus, <laughs> right? Wow. <laughs> so the idea is not leaving some of the spaces we've been in before. Is it an act of unfaithfulness? Maybe it's actually there's such a deep hunger for an experiential connection with Jesus that if you can't get that in the temple... What, what alternative do you have but just to go walking? I'm in an interesting, so I'm in this interesting space right now because I have, again, friends who are struggling with all this disillusionment and despair, and I think they keep waiting for some kind of a lecture from me or, man, make sure you're back in church. Well, of course, I love the local church. I believe in the local church. I serve the local church. But I tell you what, I'm just not going to be that guy who's going to go around saying, now, now, please don't leave Jerusalem. This road is dangerous. It's unsafe. Because I trust the Holy Spirit too much now. To believe that even where even what, that what feels like a detour is often an encounter with the resurrected one. So I would way rather, instead of making people feel guilt and shame for walking away from Jerusalem, kind of raise the question, hey, you might want to open your eyes and ears on this road that you're walking. <laughs> what, God, what is it that God might actually be doing on that road of disillusionment and despair? How, how, how maybe is God in the midst of that journey that, that feels so awful? Where, where, is, where is the Holy Spirit present even in that? I'm saying a lot of things right now. Thank you for that, friend. I need, I need somebody to preach me through this morning. I've been, this United Pursuit thing the last few days has been awesome, and it's been like summer camp. Went to bed at 4 o'clock every night, get up at 7, and they're like, dear God, where am I? What am I doing? <laughs> So now I'm, so no wonder things are feeling like revelation for me as I go like, oh, my eyes are being open. I'm awake. It's remarkable. So, but the thing, I, here's the thing that hit me a couple months ago that really, th- th- this is still like messing with my brain. So <laughs> as Jesus is asking them the question, you know, so what exactly has happened? Tell me, tell me again what, what you guys are talking about. They're sharing the pain. They're sharing the despair, all of that. But here's the phrase that's really been haunting me. So the, this one disciple says, we thought that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And several months ago, for the first time in my life, I, I had this question. I've never, I've never even thought of this question before. Did Jesus actually redeem Israel? <laughs> and of course, you know, I mean, I'm a, I think, an Orthodox Christian, a creedal Christian, so, of course, in one sense, I mean, the right answer is, well, yes, yes, of course, Jesus redeems Israel. And I believe that. I do believe that Jesus redeems Israel. But I think we need an awfully big but there, big caveat, right? And that is this. Jesus does redeem Israel, but not in the way that Israel hoped for, not in the way that they were looking for, which is kind of always what God does. I said this in the beginning, right, that they're looking for a militaristic Messiah who's going to engineer some kind of a political overthrow of their oppressors. That's what they think is going to happen. They've already decided what redemption would look like. They've already decided what it's going to look like for God to redeem Israel. But here's the thing that's really, and this again, circuits are frying in my own brain in this very moment. I cannot, I cannot get over this. So the, even if Jesus wasn't going to be crucified, if he was not crucified, he was never going to fulfill their expectations. He was never going to do it the way that they thought. Redemption wasn't going to come the way that they thought. And here's what I'm wondering, right? I'm wondering if that despair and disillusionment 
that comes with the faith that we had before. Even where, not that it's all bad, you know, God, God was working. And man, I look back wistfully to moments in my life where they were so innocent and pure. And I want to be back to that five-year-old kid at the camp, Pentecostal camp meeting. I mean, there's sweet memories around all that. But I also know that my idea of what restoration and salvation was going to look like was pretty narrow in those days. And I'm wondering if sometimes, because here's my sense of what's happened in Israel's story by this point. The, track with me for just a minute here. So in the beginning, the central story on which all of scripture hangs is this. God makes a covenant with a man named Abraham, and he says to him, I'm going to make you great. I'm going to give you a great name. I'm going to give you a great people. I'm going to make you the father of many sons. Many sons had father Abraham, right? Right arm, left arm, nod your head, turn around. Anybody go to Sunday school? Is this like utterly foreign to you guys? Any Father Abraham fans in the house today? I see that hand. That's great. (laughs) Good times there. It's a nice little musical interlude. Yeah, Father Abraham, I'm great father, father to many nations. But 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 here's the thing: I think we often forget. When God made a covenant with Abraham and said, I'm going to make you the father of this great people. Here here was the end of the covenant. So that Abraham ultimately, through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That was the point of the covenant from the very beginning. God raised up Israel so that through Israel, all the families of the earth would be blessed. Now, I have no idea where you guys come from in terms of any of this sort of theology. So, and I'm actually being serious about this, Lyle. If I say anything that's off, feel free to correct. Even if you need to take the microphone now, it's fine. Do what you need to do. I, I trust you. So I, 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 again, I don't want to get in too deep here, but you know, in my life, uh, and I remember even you know going to a Christian college and all that, we spent so many hours up late every night, everybody agonizing about words like predestination and election and this idea of God choosing people. What does that mean? What does that look like? Does this mean that before time that God sits around and says, well, this one's going up, this one's going down, and that we're kind of pawns on some kind of a chessboard? You know, a lot of that kind of conversation. I, I'm not trying to make this like too neat and tidy, but I, I'll tell you what, I, what I've come to deeply believe about all of that. I think the reason that a lot of people misunderstand the idea of how God chooses people, election, predestination, whatever kind of words you want to use, is that election in Scripture, being chosen by God in Scripture, was never about salvation. Was never about salvation. It was about vocation. The idea was not, Abraham, you and your people are my unique pets. I love you and I hate everybody else. The idea is, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, so ultimately through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So that ultimately everybody's going to get to play. That was always where the story was going. So I'm not trying to sound like Yoda here, but God chooses the elect for the sake of the non-elect. There are some people especially chosen and called out so that through them others can be drawn. That's the story of Jesus, right? He's, He's crucified outside the gates of the city so that ultimately all the outsiders can come in. This is always where the story was going. The trouble, though, is, and I think this is the trouble with a lot of us, is that the harder life gets, as Israel goes through years of Babylonian exile and any and all kinds of oppression and wars and, and, and it just 
Terrible things happened in their history. And all this, again, disillusionment, pain, despair. And now they're once again a captive people under the Roman Empire. And now once again, they're, they're, uh, the, the oppressor has his boot on their throat and things are awful. And, and the more awful things are out there, I think the more tribalistic we become. The best that you can hope for from that really oppressed, persecuted place is that you hope for the redemption of me and mine. It becomes all about me and my family, what God wants to do for us. And understandably, especially, again, oppressed people who are being treated in a horrible way by the Roman Empire, I think at this point, the best that the people of God can hope for is that God will do something that will vindicate them over and against their enemies. They'll prove them to be right. God's going to step in as the referee here and he's going to show that we've been right all along and that these folks are, are the back. He's going to show them up. So here's the trouble, right? The disciples were hoping that Jesus was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Well, they were right to hope for that. But here's where it gets a little tricky. Jesus didn't just come to redeem Israel. He was also coming after these Romans. Jesus wasn't just coming for the Jews. He was coming for the Gentiles. I don't even know what to do with this sentence, but Jesus didn't just come for the oppressed. Jesus came to transform the oppressor. That's what the table of the Lord is all about, is that the oppressed and the oppressor could somehow be reconciled in the same space. See, that's scandalous right there because for a whole lot of reasons, that doesn't sound like good news. Not to me. when When dealing with my enemies... That is still to this minute, my instinct is always going to be, do we really have to include them? (laughs) Lord, why why don't you just prove to them that I'm right and they're wrong? (laughs) Why don't you just redeem me here? They hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Oh, he was. He was always the one who was going to redeem Israel. But he was also coming to redeem any and all kinds of people. And that redemption wasn't going to come in the way that they thought. I'm telling you all of that to tell you this. Sometimes... I think that route of despair and disillusionment where the old faith system that you had starts to crumble and you wonder, am I losing my mind? Uh, Let me use my native Pentecostal context. Am I backsliding? Am I backsliding? My parents warned me about the slippery slope. Is this the slippery slope? Is that what I'm on? Here's the craziest thing is I kind of feel like all the stuff that to me felt like at the time, like slippery slope. Now I think, oh, I think the Holy Spirit was actually pushing me down that hill. (laughs) How weird is that? (laughs) It is slippery. (laughs) Because once the story is no longer just about me and my tribe and God redeeming the people that I like and the way that I want, now I'm no longer in charge of the story. Now I'm no longer in charge of the Lord's table. He's going to invite whoever he wants and it's his guest list and not mine and I might not approve of everybody else who's on it, and I might think that they need a little bit of an adjustment And because we have different political convictions, and we have some different ideas about social issues, and we, we're looking at life through a very different lens. And, you know, I think it's kind of dangerous, some of the stuff that they think, Jesus, aren't you going to deal with it? No, 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 it's not like that. <laughs> it's a big table spread for all kinds of people. And I'm just wondering that for some of us who right now are on that journey of disillusionment and despair, could it be possible that instead of losing your mind or instead of the devil working on you, what if it's possible 
that the faith that we had in the beginning was always a little bit too small? What if it was always a little bit too constricting? What if it was always a little bit too narrow? What if it was always a little bit too much about us? And the only way that God can make this as it was from the beginning. Again, I'm not trying to tell you a different story than the story of Scripture. I'm telling you it was always about all the families of the earth being blessed. That was always the movement of the story. And I wonder if sometimes if the only way it can get that our faith can become broad again and our beliefs can become broad again is if God uses despair and disillusionment to break us open. So as things are shifting in the world and things are shifting in culture and things are shifting in our lives and it feels like things are falling apart, I'm wondering, what is it right now that God might be leveraging in this to break us open to a bigger resurrection kind of faith? Anybody hear what I'm saying? Man, I, I'm, I, am, I am feeling this this morning. <laughs> and I'm saying it with so much sympathy because I can preach all this super passionately. I cannot... I cannot emphasize this enough. Some of the things I'm telling you kind of stress me out still. (laughs) But I believe it to be really and deeply true. And I really believe that oftentimes, like the the faith that we start with, it's so naive and innocent for all the things that are good about it. There's a lot that has to be deconstructed. A lot of things that have to be torn down so so that we can be opened up in this way. Let me read on just a little bit more. So, um, they, they say now it's been three days. And moreover, there we go. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. It's great that it took me this long to realize the words are back here. It's awesome. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they came back saying they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive, some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. And Jesus said to them, Oh, and I lost my place just right there. I'm so sorry. Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory and begin with Moses and all the prophets? He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I I need to be sensitive to time here a little bit, but let me at least drop one more footnote here. You know, um, I grew up in a church culture where we talked a lot about prophecy. I don't know if anybody knows what I'm talking about. We had big end times charts. And, and we were very certain about those charts. And it was funny because there's some things that were in the Gospels that were perfectly clear that seemed relatively obscure to us. Jesus says, bless your enemies. Whatever does that mean? We need to parse that and do a crossword puzzle in Greek. That could mean a lot of different things. Turn the other cheek. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. That's like, like, that stuff seemed mysterious. But we knew who the Antichrist was for sure. Like, I don't understand the Sermon on the Mount, but we're quite certain that Gorbachev or Obama or Michael Jackson is the Antichrist. We went through a lot of different phases with these things. <laughs> and I live in a world that, like, was driven by the chart. So my sense of this, you know was that those actually were all people that somewhere down the line that we, we heard was the Antichrist in the pulpit. So, <laughs> but you know, at this point in my life, I really, I really don't believe in the charts and graphs the way that I used to. And my, my understanding of prophecy has changed quite a bit because I really don't believe so much anymore that it's about God, you know, again, before time, in detail, spelling out everything about the story and prescripting that. But I, but I think here's what often happens. I think often the purpose that the prophets serve, the way that prophets function, 
is the prophets will come along and they'll tell us, if you don't repent, if you don't change your mind, change your ways, if you keep down the path that you're on, here's what you're going to get. And I feel like even in some of the things that are happening in our world right now, I think about what various prophets have said to us, not only the prophets of scripture, but prophets like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. They warned us what would happen if we did not go the way of Jesus. They warned us what, we ha- what would happen if we insisted on having things our own way, our own tribalistic, competitive, build up our own. We, we were warned that these things were going to happen. So sometimes I think it's not so much about like, you know, God's the one who's making all these things so, so much as the things that the prophets told us, the things they warned us about. Yeah, we, we, we keep moving in this direction and bad stuff happens. And yet there's this weird way in the midst of that, that even in the midst of our bad choices, and I, I could not, I've got, not, I don't say this pretentiously, I have two degrees in theology and I cannot explain this to you if we hung out for six weeks. I do not know how to explain this intellectually, but somehow, even in the midst of all of our wrong choices and twists and turns, God is still moving a redemptive story forward. So that it's not just about, it's not just about us blowing it and missing it. Somehow in the midst of all these things, there are other prophecies that are being fulfilled. Light and hope and redemption coming in the midst of even the worst things. Good gracious. And this is like 18 sermons today. I feel like this is like, this is, let's go back to the text one more time. I promise I am, uh, in my vernacular, I am getting close to landing the claim. I promise you, I really am. But I love this. So as they drew near to the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. What does that tell you? I told you he was being playful. He acted as if. I'm telling you, he's punking the disciples. He pretended he was going to keep going when he had no intention of doing that whatsoever. The playfulness of Jesus, I'm telling you. But they, they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it's toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in and I love that, just that They didn't even know yet that it's Jesus, but they knew that something was happening inside of them just enough to say, please don't leave. Just enough to say, yes. All that God has ever wanted is a yes. All that salvation has ever been is a yes. (laughs) Instead of rejecting, just stay with me a little bit longer. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I think sometimes that's what, that's what the sinner's prayer looks like. Just, just I don't know what's happening to me right now, but please stay here a little bit longer. Just, just that you just crack that door open. They always told me that's how it works with the devil. You know, give him an inch, he'll take a mile, whatever. Jesus is much worse than that. You, 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 you just, you just open the, the blinds just, a, just a little bit. <laughs> Boom, right? <laughs> and now he's here. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread and he blessed it and broke it. And he gave it to them and their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. And then he vanished from their sight. I'm so out of time. I, another sermon for another time. I, part of what I love about this is I do think there's something that happens in the breaking of the bread. Something happens in the communion. There's something in that Eucharistic meal that, where, the, where the presence of Christ is uniquely revealed to us. Where, where he's recognized. But you know, um, part of what's so wild to me about this. Now they have this moment of revelation. They see Jesus for who he is. And for those of you who've known Jesus for any amount of time, this should not be surprising to you. The very moment they recognize him, the very moment that they see him and they have the clarity, then he vanishes. And I'm just asking y'all who've been walking with him for a little while, isn't that just like the Lord? Isn't that like something he would do? 
Because keep in mind, I'm a good Pentecostal charismatic. And whenever I have a good experience of God, I say like, all right, I've hit a new level. I've hit a new anointing. It's going to be like this for the rest of my life. I'm never coming down off of this moment. I will always feel this kind of clarity and peace and joy. This is never going to change. I will forever be different because of this moment. Not how it works. Instead, you get the clarity, you get the perspective. (gasps) And then you reach out to touch him and it feels like he's gone. And he's not, but he's not present the way that he was in the moment before. There's just something about the mystery of how God's presence works in that way. There's not something wrong with you. (laughs) There's a reason why you have those moments of revelation and clarity. And then in the midst of the week, you you lose some of that. And we come back together. You said something was wrong with me. Well, maybe there's just something wrong with my prayer. God is always playing hide and seek with us in that way. But what he leaves us with is this burning heart. The burning heart is what keeps us coming back. Burning heart is what keeps us in community. Once again, we gather and we're vulnerable and we're authentic and we invite the presence of Jesus. And we say, stay with us a little while. And even if you don't feel him today, if you don't feel anything today, we just keep showing up. And at some point, sometime, we know that presence is going to be with us again. Stand with me if you would. (laughs) Man, thank you guys for preaching with me. Y'all are so much fun. Can I hang out with y'all all all the time? This is really good for my soul. I'm serious. I just want to take a moment and... um, I just want to pray over you. I don't want to. Um, I'm not this morning going to ask anybody to come forward or anything like that, but I would ask you, you would just to close your eyes where you are. And Lord Jesus, I just want to pray specifically for any of your sons and daughters who are here this morning who are coming from a place of disillusionment and despair. Lord, people who right now are experiencing profound confusion, that they don't know where you are or what you're doing or not only what's happening in the world out there, but what's happening in the world inside of them. Oh God, I just ask in the stillness of this moment that you would reveal yourself to them. And friends, I would just want to speak this over you in the name of Jesus Christ, that what feels like right now a road of disillusionment and despair is actually a spirit-led path to the resurrected one. You're not losing your mind. And if you're losing your faith, you might be losing a faith that you needed to let go of so that God can give you a bigger one, a better one, a broader one. You can trust him. You can trust him. Some of you even right now, you, you sense you, you, something in your spirit bears witness to the Holy Spirit and what I'm saying right now. You can trust him. So, Lord, this morning we just say, even though we don't know what it means and we don't know what it's gonna, where it's going to take us, we just say, yes, stay with us, Jesus. Stay with us. We would rather have you than have Jerusalem. We would rather have your presence and not have the temple than have the temple and not have your presence. Oh, God, we'd rather be on a lonely, desolate road where you're with us been in a, in a beautiful, hip, cool place where you're not. So we say, welcome, Holy Spirit.
And I pray that even now that specifically for sons and daughters who've been in a place of despair and disillusionment, if you're identifying with that and specifically with a lot of confusion right now and no judgment, any of that, but if that's you, would you mind just throwing up your hand and just, just as a way of sacrifice and surrender, Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would breathe your peace over your sons and daughters right now. I commend them to your presence that in the midst of all this shaking and all these things that feel so violent right now, oh God, that they would find themselves so at home at the center of your heart and the center of your will, that you are for them, that you are with them, and that yes, you are leveraging even this confusion, you are leveraging even this dark night of the soul, so that actually they would be led into a deeper, more profound revelation of who you are. Jesus, make yourself known in the midst of this chaos. And as the spirit brooded over the waters in Genesis, brood over us, hover over us, bringing beauty and order out of the chaos, Lord. In the midst of all these things that feel like that they're just falling apart, here you are like you always do, bringing something beautiful out of all of this mess. Praise this in the name of Jesus. I'm out of time and I'm really about to be done, but I really feel like I need to do this. I never do stuff like this. Uh, Well, Allison, could you guys join me on the stage for just a moment? I really... um, I'm giving the disclaimer that like, that I'm not that guy. <laughs> I'm just not that guy. I um, never considered myself much of a prophet. I was the one growing up in church and going through puberty and afraid that the prophetic people were going to tell the world my wicked thoughts. And like, I never, never aspired to be that guy. But I really wanted to pray specifically over you guys this morning because my sense is you know, I think that right now, not just in the church, but in the, in the world, the broader body of Christ, there's such a, I think there's such a fresh thing that God is doing by the Holy Spirit in terms of a, just a revelatory understanding of the heart of the Father. Revelatory. And I, I just I just felt so quick in this morning to pray over the, the two of you in particular that I believe that, that you and this church and this ministry is going to lead people into such a, a, a deeper mystical, experiential understanding of the heart and presence of God. I think that's, that's the anointing that you guys carry. And I just want just, just to encourage you that, because I know that you're pursuing the Father's heart. And I know that, that that's what you're embodying in this community. That no matter what anybody else will say or think about that, so long as you're pursuing his heart, goodness, even if it's stuff that folks aren't ready for. You know, my, and, and I would specifically say this, and I have no, there's no context for any of this. This is just my I know that sometimes, especially when you're operating in revelation and God is showing you things, he's revealing you things, it, it's really challenging because I think like there are gonna be some mentors and some folks that have been influential who are gonna commend you and encourage you and say, that's great, praise God, keep going. And other folks who've sown into you who aren't gonna get it, who are gonna misunderstand. But you know, here's the thing that's really weird. I think sometimes like some of the things that God has placed inside of you in the past through faithful men and women of God to, to, in order to be obedient to what God's telling you to do right now, you may disappoint them sometimes. Because here's the truth. What they taught you was how to walk in the Spirit. They talked to you how to listen to the Holy Spirit. So now what you're doing is just following that, the next logical place. You're following that all the way to its logical conclusion. You're still listening to the Holy Spirit, which means you don't, you're not necessarily stopping in the same place that they stopped. God is taking you somewhere else. So that's not dishonor and that's not rebellion. That's what honor looks like. They taught you how to listen to the Holy Spirit. They had a revelatory grasp of the love of God. And you're just going to keep following that further and further. I just feel like I need to encourage you with that in particular, that even the moments where it might feel like people say, I'm not sure exactly what they're doing, 
but I just want to just, just to commend you that like that the, that the Lord trusts you and there's a reason why he's invested in you this unique capacity this revelation of his heart because he knows that you'll be faithful to lead people into that and I just want to I, I, let me just pray would y'all join me and just pray Father I just ask you in the strong name of Jesus God this sweet couple they walk in the spirit they love you they seek you And God, I believe that you've called this to be a prophetic community. You've called this to be a revelatory community where people, Lord, not just, it's not about doctrine, it's not about ideas, but an experience of the risen Christ. God, I just pray that you would give them the intimacy that their hearts crave for, that you would give them a special dispensation of your grace to usher people into that kind of divine intimacy. I pray that you would give them the grace to be misunderstood and yet to still be confident and full of grace and full of fire because you're the one that they follow they're listening to that still small voice and even when it's counterintuitive and even where other people feel like they're missing it somehow oh god i thank you that you're giving them a bravery and a courage just to do whatever you they're willing to do whatever you ask them to do and they don't care what it looks like god i believe that you're going to bless that I believe that you're going to honor that single-minded focus on you and that devotion to your heart. So I just pray that revelation of your love would just grow deeper and wider, more and more scandalous, more and more open. And I pray that through these people, that this place, that the scandal of the upside-down kingdom of God would be lived in this community. Bless them, fill them freshly with the Holy Spirit. Let them speak words of grace with the fire and intensity of hellfire and brimstone. (laughs) Let them preach love with the intensity of hellfire. (laughs) Let them preach grace with the fervency that others will preach judgment and division. (laughs) Let them preach unity with heat, God. Let there be a fervency, Lord. (laughs) Just the furnace of your love, God. Let it be so bright. Let it crackle through them. Fill them. These are your sons and daughters. I commend them to you in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We also bless Pastor Jonathan. Thank you so much for blessing our house. Um, I, I tell all my friends that preach here, we're fun. Like if we're nothing else, we're fun. Um, but we're also full of the joy that Jesus has given us through salvation. And I'm very thankful, uh, I know I speak for my wife as well, to be in community this morning uh, with my family, worshiping Jesus and receiving a word that pushes us on with a burning heart. So I don't know about you guys, but I'm going to leave here uh, like the two that encountered Jesus on the road to Emmaus that Jonathan spoke of. I'm going to leave here this morning with a burning heart. How about you guys? Amen. And so I just bless that heart this morning to continue to burn until it engulfs all of you. Just every square inch of who you are, that everything in you that does not bring God glory would completely be burned up and that you would walk in the fullness of who he has fashioned you to be.